We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to discuss the compromise of the evangel within the evangelical church and how the Bible-believing community has replaced the gospel with critical theory. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening in. Today's topic is, as I said in the introduction, the compromise of the evangel by the evangelical community. One more time, the compromise, the softening, the disregard, the ignorance of the evangel, the good news of the gospel in the evangelical community. The fact that your evangelical churches have been corrupted and compromised. And it starts from the pulpit and it works its way down. I mean, stop and look in what at what's going on in our culture right now. Who could argue against what I'm going to say right now? American culture is unraveling. Uh, few would argue otherwise. Whether you're on the right or the left of the political divide, we all seem to agree on one thing. Something is desperately wrong here. The United States has become a divided states. E pluribus unum, out of many one, has become e unum pluribus. Out of one many, where we were once a diverse people coming together in common cause, we now seem to be a fractured country with no social or moral glue to hold us together. A nation that just yesterday taught its progeny the value of axioms such as give me liberty or give me death now responds to a 99% survivable health crisis with I fear death, so everyone else should lose their liberty. We're self-refuting. I've talked about this over and over again on the show. We are self-refuting at every turn. Those who claim to be tolerant shout that they can't tolerate everyone else's intolerance. People waving banners of love trumps hate go around saying that they absolutely hate the people that they find to be hateful. Teachers teach that there's no such thing as truth, and preachers preach that they know nothing can be known. Politicians swear to honor and defend the Constitution that they then turn around and disparage, disparage, excuse me, disparage as an antiquated document of systemic racism, intersectionality, and white privilege. Feminists deny the biological fact of the female, and misogynists march with me too. Child advocates advocate for the right to kill their own children. And proponents of prenatal health are now apologists for perinatal death. The world is upside down. Everything's upside down. And most everybody knows it, senses it, and recognizes it. 
how did we get in this mess? How? How in the world did we get in this mess? Well, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about that today on the rest of this show. But first, let's take a break so I don't interrupt my train of thought while I try to just rattle off a bunch of stuff here that I shared with you, or at least I started sharing with you last week. We're going to start with the data, the, the empirical data, the facts, the figures, as to what is going on in the belief system of American churches. And I would argue that if it's happening in the church, it's also happening in your local schools, because these ideas started somewhere. Your, your woke pastor or your naive pastor, whichever he or she is, didn't just wake up in the morning and come up with these grand and glorious new fangled ideas. No, they were taught these things somewhere. And I'm going to share with you data, actual quotes that prove that they were taught to your teachers and your preachers by your local schools. But let's take a break, and when I get back, we're going to talk about the George Barna research one more time, the percentage of pastors that actually believe or don't in the Bible. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So, in the first few moments of the show, I basically am trying to make the case that everybody knows that the world is a mess. Everything's upside down. Everybody's anxious. Even those people that fancy themselves progressives or liberal, whatever label you want to put on yourself, if, that, if you're in that category, you're anxious, you're, you're upset, you're leaving California and moving to Oklahoma or someplace else like that because you want to get away from the madhouse, the crazy land. You think that Midwestern values might actually be better for your personal freedom and maybe better, a better environment to raise your children in. I'm hearing this all the time, all the time from people that really don't understand that it's their own ideas that killed the goose that was laying the golden egg in California. Don't bring your ideas here. Please leave them where you learned them back in New York City or San Francisco or wherever you're coming from. Don't bring that stuff here and expect Oklahoma or the heartland to retain its character. It won't because ideas always have consequences. And if you bring your bad ideas with you, you're going to contaminate the Midwestern values and culture that you think you're moving into. The left knows this. Critical theory knows this. I actually believe that there are key leaders of critical theory right now in the academy and in the government that are smiling at the fact that so many people are exiting California, New York, New York and whatnot, and coming to the red states, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, Ohio, Indiana, the red states, because that's the way they'll turn these states blue, is getting an influx of all these people that bring their terrible ideas with them. Completely ignorant of, I guess, the fact that it's those ideas that destroyed the communities that they're now fleeing. All right, last week I shared with you what Dr. Lynn Munsell, president of Arizona Christian University, recently said. And this was his quote, using data from George Barna's research. His quote, A large majority of American pastors do not possess a biblical worldview. According to the latest findings from the American Worldview Inventory 2022, conducted by the Cultural Research Center here at 
Arizona Christian University. We know that this is a fact. A large majority of American pastors don't even possess a biblical worldview. In fact, he says, just slightly more than a third of American pastors have a biblical worldview. 37%, that's it, only 37% of American pastors possess a biblical worldview. And the, the majority of American pastors, 62%, embrace some sort of hybrid worldview, which he labels syncretism. And I've told you what syncretism is before. It's the, the sinking, the sinking together of disparate worldviews, for example, like Islam and Christianity, uh, that somehow they're both the same. doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you, whether you're, uh, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're Hindu, whether you're Christian, they're all basically the same religions worshiping the same God. It's just different paths going up the same mountain to the same summit. We'll all get there and have a great big group hug someday. That's syncretism. So what Dr. Lynn Munsell is saying is that 62% of American pastors embrace this hybrid worldview of a group hugs, group hugs, kumbaya moment, as opposed to the exclusivity and the exceptionality of the gospel. Uh, he goes on and breaks it down. Senior pastors only have 41% embracing a biblical worldview. The next highest is 28% among associate pastors. So let me say that again. Only 41% of your senior pastors in American churches have a biblical worldview. All the rest of them buy into this syncretism in one form or another. And then if you go down to the associate pastors, only 28% of them have a biblical worldview. This is really sobering. Listen to this stuff. Uh, you should care. Because even if you're not a regular church attender, the church is the entity that preserves your culture. And if the church isn't doing its job, your culture is going to rot. That's why Jesus equates the church to salt and light. The salt is the preservative that keeps the culture, the church, your families, your communities from rotting. And if the church has lost its savor, its saltiness, it's going to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus said that. Well, essentially, that's what's happening right now. Nobody has any time for the church. Church attendance is going down. You've got all of these nuns, N-O-N-E, these people that say that they have no religion. When they're asked to identify their religion in a survey, they just check the box, none. So back to the data. You have only 41% of head pastors saying that they have a biblical worldview, only 28% of associate pastors. And then when you get into the teaching pastors, uh, and I assume this probably would also include like Sunday school teachers, even though they aren't official pastors. In fact, the numbers are probably worse if they don't have some sort of education as a pastor. Teaching pastors, 13%, have a biblical worldview. Youth pastors, 12%. Stop and think about the influence the youth pastor has on your kid. And only 12%, 12% of youth pastors have a biblical worldview. All the rest of them have embraced syncretism, this um, hodgepodge of ideas that are completely unmoored, un untethered. They're not anchored in the unchangeable, immutable, absolute, inerrant authority of the scriptures. They just don't believe that. And then executive pastors, those guys that are balancing the budget and running the, running the church, 
while the pastor prepares his sermon, they have influence, and only 4% of them have biblical beliefs, have biblical beliefs, and believe in the authority of Scripture. 4%. All right? Very sobering data, right? So what did Munsell conclude? Here's his quote in conclusion. Our research measured biblical understanding across eight key worldview categories and found that for seven of the eight categories, a minority of pastors possessed a biblical worldview. The lowest of all is a category that might have been expected to be at the top of the list. And what is that category? Well, it's uh, beliefs and behaviors related to the Bible, truth, and morality. And in that category, only 39% of pastors possess a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview considering beliefs and behaviors related to the Bible, truth, and morality. So I want you to just let those numbers sink in a bit. Only 41% of America's senior pastors have a biblical worldview. And the number drops like a rock in water for the rest of the church and its staff. Associate pastors, 28%. Teaching pastors, 13%. Youth pastors, 12%. Executive pastors, 4%. And to wrap a bow around this whole, this whole uh, analysis, only 39% of all American pastors believe in the Bible's definition of truth and morality. And, and I've argued before that the numbers get even worse for parachurch organizations such as church-related colleges and schools universities. When you see evangelical and Catholic pastors and priests and professors stumbling over themselves to embrace the Marxism, blatant Marxism, it's in their documents, it's in their mission statement, that when you see them, these people, these evangelical and Catholic pastors, priests, and professors stumbling over themselves to embrace the Marxism of Black Lives Matter, the blatant racism of Ibram X. Kendi, and the elevation of class conflict and collective blame that is explicitly taught in critical theory. You know these church leaders, these Christian leaders, have elevated Marcuse over Moses, and they've put social justice over Jesus. I'm going to say that again. When you see all of these people stumbling over themselves, rushing to embrace Black Lives Matter, Ibram X. Kendi, and the theories, the collective blame, the victimization, the anger and vitriol of critical theory, you know that these leaders of the church have elevated Marcuse over Moses and social justice over Jesus. The inerrancy and authenticity and the authority of the Bible, together with the corollary self-evident truths grounded in natural law, i.e. the objectivity of God's revelation to man, these things, this inerrancy, authenticity, the authority of the Bible, all of this, all of this, talk of common sense and natural law. All of this is now panned as racism and bigotry at your local church, in your local Christian school. Yes, they're saying that inerrancy, authenticity, authority, self-evident truths, the language of the Bible and the language of our country's seminal documents, they're saying that all of this is the product of whiteness. That's what they're actually saying. And it's coming out of your local Christian schools. These people, these teachers, these administrators, these college presidents, these school principals, 
They've been worshiping the created rather than the creator for so long that they can't think their way out of a paper bag. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They're given over to a reprobate mind. In the spirit of the original sin, they've declared themselves to be as God. And in return, he, God who sits in the heavens, laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. You know, one of the quotes I've said over and over again on this show is that wolves in sheep's clothing are dangerous, but wolves in shepherd's clothing are downright deadly. Well, Americans' church leaders have become wolves. One more time, Americans' church leaders have become wolves disguised as shepherds. Our pastors and our Christian faculty, Sunday school teachers, youth pastors, the professor of theology at your local Christian college, the principal, the headmaster at your local Christian school. They're supposed to be salt and light to a dying culture in a dark world, but I would argue that they're now little more than pallid milk toast to a nation that's in desperate need of the strong drink of the gospel. And what did Jesus say about this pallid milk toast, this lukewarmness of the pulpit and of the Christian community. He said this, that he would spit such people from his mouth. So how'd we get here? I'd say look no further than your local church and your local Christian school. And when you look, there's about a 60% chance, according to Barna, According to the Barner research I just shared with you, when you look at your local church and your local Christian school, there's about a 60% chance that the guy standing behind the pulpit and or the podium is a quote-unquote shepherd with blood dripping from some very sharp teeth. Wolves in sheep's clothing are dangerous, but wolves in shepherd's clothing are downright deadly. Now, I've said over and over again in the comments leading up to this point that the church has given over itself to critical theory. It seems to be more important to our pastors and our Sunday school teachers, our teaching pastors, our youth pastors, and our local Christian college faculty or your local Christian school administration and teachers. Critical theory seems to be more important to them than the gospel itself. Now, in the closing moments of this show, let's just remind ourselves what critical theory is. Is critical theory consistent with the Bible? I've got some critics that would argue it is, that critical race theory and critical theory in general is not necessarily opposed to Scripture. In fact, it could be an elevation of Scripture. Well, that's garbage. It's just pure garbage. We need to remind ourselves what critical theory is, what its core principles are. All right, critical race theory assumes that racism is more than just the bigoted ideas and actions of an individual. No, that's not what racism is. It's not just the bigotry of an individual who is treating other people unfairly because of the way they look or the color of their skin. No, that's not what racism is in critical theory. Instead of that, it's built it's built on this assumption that America's social, political, legal, and economic institutions, all of that, are racists. All of that. 
Our social, political, legal, and economic institutions are racist. That's what critical theory teaches. They believe that racism is literally built into the DNA of white people. It judges people by the color of their skin. If you're white, you are racist by definition. Every thought, every action, every relationship, every interaction engaged in by white people is racist. It's tinged by racial bias. In fact, in the Seattle school district, the public school districts in Seattle, and don't think it's just up there in Seattle, it's in San Francisco, it's in New York City, it's in your own backyard in Oklahoma or Ohio. The Seattle school district actually has redefined racism simply as, get this one, whiteness. They've actually come out and said it. Racism is whiteness, and whiteness is racism. So you're, you're a racist by virtue, by, by virtue of being white. You can't do anything about it. If you're white, you're a racist. White privilege is everywhere in American society, they argue. And the antidote to white privilege is what critical race theory proponents call anti-racism. Okay, you have to be an anti-racist. You can't just not be a racist. You have to be anti-racist, which means that you have to actively fight for the elimination. If you're just saying, I have, I have repented, I have confessed any racist views that I held in the past or any racist actions that I engaged in. No, that's not, that's not what they're talking about. They're not talking about your individual confession or repentance or culpability or change of heart, mind, and soul. No, they're talking about you having to engage in cultural change. You have to be an anti-racist and you have to fight against the things that they say, they say are racist and they say have caused the racism in the first place. And one of the things that they say has caused racism is whiteness. The Seattle public school system has actually redefined racism. They just take out the words and they replace it with whiteness. So critical theory, again, we've talked about a lot of this, is the rejection of concepts, Western concepts, that they identify as white constructs. And what are those concepts? Things like objectivity and, and truth and knowledge, okay? All of these things are constructs of whiteness, so they reject them. You can't say stuff like I say on this show, like truth is an objective reality. It's out there to be found. You go pursue it. Truth exists with a capital T. It's not subjective. It's objective. You have to have a measuring rod outside of those things being measured, or you can do no measuring. That argument for the objectivity of truth rather than the subjective constructs of a postmodern culture. Oh, the critical theorists dismiss what I just said out of hand because I just proved to be grounding my pursuit of knowledge in whiteness rather than the principles of critical theory and anti-racism. And they apply all of this to even the subjects such as math and science. Claiming that there are right and wrong answers in mathematics, for example, is evidence of whiteness. I'm not making this up. This is what they teach. So they essentially have repudiated all of the core values, principles, virtues, 
etc. All of those things, all the good stuff associated with the West, Western civilization, all, all of the good stuff like liberty, individual rights, private property, merit, work, personal responsibility, equal protection under the law, uh, neutrality, due process, federalism, freedom of speech, colorblindness, constitutionalism, separation of powers, and most of all, capitalism. Oh, no, that all of these things are associated with white people because they come from Western civilization. Um, dead white European males, for example. And all of these things are laden with racist values. Uh, in, in, emphasizing individualism, ah, whiteness. Uh, we, we, we don't believe in individual rights. We believe in collectivism. Uh, emphasizing a future time orientation, that's their language. In other words, if you plan ahead, future time or orientation, you plan ahead to be on time, get something done within a given framework, that's racist because it's whiteness. So, essentially what they're saying is that you have to get rid of all of the good stuff of Western civilization, the good or the great stuff produced by Anglo-European culture, well, and it's American offshoots. Well, this is, this is racist. It's inherently racist. It must be deconstructed, i.e. it must be destroyed. This means that Michelangelo, Beethoven, Christopher Wren, Jane Austen, Aristotle, all of this stuff especially the Bible, Moses, must be abandoned, must be abandoned, and it must be forgotten. Critical theory rejects all of this, all of this good, uh, the great works, great books of Western civilization are nothing but products of whiteness. So where did this all start? I've got about a minute left to tell you. It started in our schools. Our educational establishment has been hell-bent on subverting and overturning American society and culture because it's a society of whiteness. This is why you hear all of this stuff about the 1619 Project. This is why when states pass laws like Oklahoma has, House Bill 1775 that Governor Snit signed into law, prohibiting the teaching of all this nonsense, this is why they just start calling it something else. They'll call it social-emotional learning. They'll just keep doing it. They didn't stop teaching these ideas. They still are. They just don't call it. CRT anymore because they know that they've been caught. Your education department, your education uh, teachers unions, your schools are laden with this stuff and they have been for decades. And I know what I'm talking about. I'm a graduate of one of the premier teacher education schools in the nation at Michigan State. This stuff is pervasive. This is the ideology. This is what your schools are being taught and this is what seminaries and Christian colleges are teaching. And that's why you see these terrible numbers at your pulpit, in your local church. Garbage in, garbage out. Ideas always bear consequences. And we're suffering the consequences of, ele of, of elevating, excuse me, elevating Marcuse over Moses and social justice over Jesus. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.